0: Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I tell you what, I was pretty excited today because I was actually recording this podcast um, hours ago, and as I'm wrapping up, I glance up at my wall full of shed antlers that i found over the years, and I notice a characteristic that was similar to the buck that I ended up shooting this year. So what do I do? I take about 10, 15 antlers off the wall and start looking at them and just like, finding things that match the deer that i i shot this year and i end up finding a match set from it as a two-year-old a right side as a three-year-old and i already knew i had his right side as a four-year-old so i actually have four antlers one of them being a matching set from this buck and i can tell you exactly where i found them Those they were in a cornfield, the the same cornfield or ag field because it rotates. The same ag field that I found his four-year-old shed, and we're talking a hundred some yards from where I ended up killing him at, so or shooting him at, and that's awesome i don't know about you guys but i love shed hunting and it just like extends my whitetail season throughout the entire year so the season once the season's over uh you know you wait however many months to get out there in march and and start looking for these antlers and it's cool to put the pieces of the puzzle together and have several years of history with this deer and uh, it's just it's pretty cool finding something new every day um about, you know, I knew I had one shed guaranteed, but as I start digging through my pile, uh, I realize that, Hey, I have three additional sheds from him and the characteristics are, are pretty much the same. And you can kind of see the progress of how he went from just an eight and then transformed into this nine, uh, this magnificent nine pointer that, uh, that I ended up shooting as a five-year-old. So, uh, that right there makes me happy. So there's that now. Today's podcast, we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Rick Henley, and the reason we're talking with him, because he is one of the co-chairs for the Iowa chapter of the BHA, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and I went to a pint night recently, and I said, hey man, let me get you on the show, and you can share with everybody what steps Iowa is taking in order to become an official chapter of the backcountry hunters and anglers because we currently don't have a chapter and I think that's important especially for a state like Iowa where public land is a rarity there's not a lot of public land compared to some of the western states or any eastern state really uh so that's what we talk about we kind of we kind of talk about why he became a chair why he wanted to be involved with uh backcountry hunters and anglers um We talk about the pint nights that we've had, membership, and then the official letter outlining the membership that we have to submit to the national uh, organization with three state issues that we plan on addressing. So uh, it's a pretty cool story about how this chapter has grown and hopes to become an official chapter by December this year when uh, they have their national meeting. So. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, before we get into today's podcast, I want to share a quick story about one of our sponsors, and that is Wasp Broadheads. Now, I jumped up my arrow weight this year, and I stuck with a fixed blade. Uh, And I am very, very positive that when I say this, I'm confident when I say that if I was shooting a mechanical broadhead, I probably would have not recovered my deer. I think I would have lost a lot of momentum in my arrow. Um, And I think the combination with a heavy arrow and the boss four blade broadhead that I was using allowed me to get superior penetration into this deer, mess up, mess him up really bad and eventually uh, getting to the point where um, I could find him. Uh, I just don't think a mechanical broadhead would have been bad in a marginal shot and I you hear a lot of people say dude I, I shoot a I shoot a mechanical for marginal shots because they leave a bigger cutter cutting diameter but in a scenario where this buck was hard quartering away and I hit hind quarter t- and went into the guts and went into the liver and exited out the brisket it was just one of those things where uh, I don't think I would have got the penetration if I was shooting a mechanical and After a scenario like this, I was thinking, does a mechanical broadhead really mean that it is a... Like, is a mechanical broadhead really going to do better in a marginal shot? And although Wasp offers mechanical broadheads as well, because some people love mechanicals, I myself am a huge fan of these smaller diameter, fixed blade. uh, The one I shoot is the Boss 4-blade, and just a little tuning from my field points to this, to this, uh, four blade broadhead and I'm shooting darts and I couldn't be any happier with it. It, uh, it's durable. And the best part is, uh, it's made in America. So if you have yet to check out wasp, go check out WaspArchery.com, And if you do decide to purchase some broadheads, mechanical or fixed blade, Please enter the discount code 9FINGERS, that's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, and you will save 20% off your order. Now, enough of all that stuff. Let's get into today's podcast where we talk about backcountry hunters and anglers with Rick Henley. All right, on the phone right now, Mr. Rick Henley. How you doing, man? Good. How are you, Dan? I'm doing pretty good. Now, this podcast is going to be about how iowa is starting a backcountry hunters and anglers chapter and we're going to get into all the meat and potatoes of that uh here shortly but before why don't you uh just tell everybody what part of iowa you're from and what do you do for a living
1: uh yeah so um I mean, right now i live in north liberty iowa uh just just north of iowa city um i've lived here for 17 years now. I grew up not too far away from here uh, in a little town of Tipton. So I've always lived in Iowa. I've traveled all over the country, all over the world, but uh, i was always been home to me. So, um, And as far as what I do for a living, I've I've been in the hunting firearms industry uh, really since I've been in college. Uh, now I work at the Rock Island Auction Company. We're the largest firearms auction house in the world. Um, that's actually right over the river in Illinois. So I drive over there every day um, but that's uh that's what I do uh, on a day to day basis uh, I run our acquisitions department there, and basically it's my job to get in about thirty thousand guns a year to to sell at auction so gotcha
0: so what kind of guns do you acquire uh, throughout the year?
1: everything um wow. I mean really I kind of say if it goes if it goes bang, we can sell it um, you know we we're really known for for high end uh, firearms. Uh, we, the last just over two years, we've sold three guns over a million dollars, which nobody else has ever sold. We've sold a, a single gun over a million dollars, um, but then we'll sell 870 expresses too. So, you know, and, and everything in between.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I don't know anything about is firearms. Like I could talk to you about archery forever, but when it comes to, when it comes to firearms, you know, you just said something about that express. I don't know what that is.
1: (laughs) That's like the most common pump shotgun (laughs) in America. Okay. So I have one of those in my, in my house. Okay, cool.
0: So make, I'll, just, I'll I'll tell you what I'll take care of making myself look bad on my own podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right. So, yeah, and I mean that, that's that's the thing with guns. There's there's so many in, idiosyncrasies of different guns that
0: yeah. uh, um, there's a lot to lots to know out there on them. But all right, so we go see it all. So I'm curious, who pays one million dollars for a gun? Is this like general? general lee's sidearm or some historic uh person's personal firearm
1: yeah all all those um you know pretty much had some history i mean they they kind of have the uh they kind of have it all they have you know rarity condition history behind them um, the one that we set a world record with we sold for 1.8 million dollars it was a uh colt civilian walker which was basically samuel colts first revolver that he made as as Colt um they only made approximately 100 of them this thing's like still brand new uh I mean, it was made in 1847 still brand new still had the original factory case still had a, a basically a signed letter from Samuel Colt um in in with it as well so you know it had everything condition history rarity so
0: so with with something like that how much research not only do you have to do, but do you have to like? Because I see these, I see these television shows where these guys hop in these vehicles and they go to you know farms throughout the United States and like, hey, let me, can I take a look through your uh, your junk shed? And then they find some historical piece of you know, like an antique or something that they're able to flip, right? Do you have to do any of that? Like, hey, a little bird told me that this person has a gun. Uh, but this person lives in South Dakota, you need to travel there, uh, it's in the middle of nowhere and, you know, like anything like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Um, I mean, it's a little different. So a lot of these are known already, you know, they've been discovered. I mean, certainly, certainly ones that we've discovered. Um, usually it's not like that. Usually it's somebody calling us and saying like, Hey, I have this. Yeah. What is it? Or, you know, is it what I think it is? Um, but yeah i mean there's certainly there's certainly ones we've discovered that uh you know nobody knew they existed other than the person that owned them and you know even they didn't really know what they had right um but but other ones are they've been known they've been in books um get, you know i mean at one point they were discovered you know maybe it was 50 60 years ago where they had that that aha moment of this is what it is but uh but yeah i mean the, the, those are the ones that are exciting are the ones where i just I come in on a Monday morning, I get an email and I say, Hey, I've got this, this firearm. What is it? And you know, and I, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe that just showed up in my email. <laughs> <laughs> and it sucks. And because... usually it's like, yeah, usually it's when, when can I come out and see it? You know, yeah.
0: <laughs> right? does tomorrow work? <laughs> so do they like, obviously at that point you're, I mean, you work for a very large company and you, you, I'm sure people, and I'm sure people do this all the time. Like we're not just firearms, but in life in general where it's like, ah, this is nothing. I'll give you 20 bucks for it. And it's a $20,000 gun. You know what I mean? So, so mm-hmm. you have to, you have to tell this person that, hey, your firearm is worth, you know, $15,000. Uh, I, I will buy it off you for 10 or whatever and this, and then once they get that, Then they then their whole demeanor probably changes and they're just like I'm sitting on gold right now like there's no way I'm gonna sell it unless it's for you know fifty thousand dollars then they get and then the truth probably hurts sometimes I bet
1: yeah well yeah you so I mean we don't do it where we're buying the stuff we're putting it at auction for them so we're really uh, on the same side as them we want to get the most money for it. Um, cause that's how we get the most money. That's how they get the most money. Yeah. But yeah, you get that a lot of times where, um, sometimes I, I, I call that person up and I say, Hey, this, this is worth X amount of money. And I think they're going to be super excited about it. And they, yeah. they think it was worth 10 times that much. Right. Um, but we get it, we get it the opposite where, you know, somebody offered me $2,000 for this and it's like, Hey, this thing's worth $50,000 or whatever it might
0: be. Yeah. Um, th- those are, those are exciting, obviously. Absolutely. When get You get it. Give that person that news. Well, it sounds like a fun job. Is, do you like your job?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it can be. Uh, it can be super exciting. I get. I get jaded. I see the best stuff in the world when it comes to firearms. Um, you know, I. St- I tell people all the time. I still remember. I worked at, at Gander Mountain when I was a, uh, a freshman in college, and I remember going in the first day of work, looking at a Benelli shotgun and thinking. Who in the hell pays a thousand dollars for a gun, you right, know <laughs> right and uh now if it's uh now if it's not six figures, you know,
0: yeah, that's crazy
1: <laughs> but but i get I get excited about a lot of stuff you know it's it's the unique stuff that gets me excited right it doesn't right. necessarily have to be the most expensive stuff anymore, so so it's cool
0: now when you say all guns that go bang, if I wanted to mount some like gun to my truck that went could you like you do you deal with those kind of guns too?
1: Uh yeah. I mean, we're we're a fully licensed machine gun dealer too. So, yeah, we can we can we can't can't in Iowa. We can't own them in Iowa, but uh, uh, there's a lot of lot of states that can. So yeah, we um we we sell them. We actually got coming up in our December auction a uh, a Thompson that was was there when Pretty Boy Floyd was was shot oh, by wow. the FBI. So
0: that's crazy. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's good awesome. cool stuff. So. I could probably go down this rabbit hole for another hour or so, but we, we got to st- gotta stay focused because this is about uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, and Iowa has, it, it, I should say, is in the process of becoming an official chapter. So I went to uh, one of the pint nights, and I was on some of the initial emails that were um, bouncing back and forth about, you know. Basically, the the birth and the conception of this chapter. Um, why don't you Why don't you share with us about maybe your personal experience? Why you decided first of all why Iowa needed a chapter with on a state that is typically you know it's like two percent uh, public g- ground, and then why you thought that you would be good for the ch- the co chair, which you which you currently are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I got, I got started with it, I guess, just, just became a member, um, a couple of years ago. Um, I heard about it through, um, through different channels. Um, I've been on a, a Ducks Unlimited committee, uh, here in the state for, for a few years now. And, um, you know, really, really enjoyed that. And, um, as I started getting into big game hunting, I kind of thought to myself, I want to find. Uh, a conservation group that that kind of focuses on big game, um, and and as I got more into BHA, um, I, I just I thought that was kind of what I wanted to to join, uh, so I joined it, and then quickly thereafter I thought you know there's there's not a state chapter in Iowa, um, there's state chapters in many uh, many different states across the country there wasn't one in Iowa so I thought you know what I just I'll email them and um, if they ever decide to to have one. I'd be more than happy to to volunteer my time to to help with it to get it started. Um, so I did that, emailed in, didn't hear anything for a while, and then all of a sudden, uh, a big email chain came out that I think you were on as well that that just said, "Hey, we we've had enough interest. We want to get one started, um, and we're gonna we're gonna put together a a phone call where we can get everybody on there and kind of get the ball rolling." Um,
0: okay. So fu- once that once that email came out to everybody. What was the next you know, couple steps to, you know, from, from when BHA sent the email out, says, all right, you guys want it, here's what you have to do. What were the next steps after that?
1: So, yeah, on that initial phone call, there was, I think there's about 30 of us on there. Um, basically, the first thing we did is, is kind of get together a board of directors. Um, we all kind of talked about our own backgrounds, why, you know, why, just like what I'm just doing now, why I joined BHA, what I want to do for it. Um, so we kind of went through that and, um, and just voted on everybody, uh, as far as who was going to be on the board of directors. Some, some people on the phone calls, you know, they're just honest that I don't have the time to be on the board of directors. I just want to be able to help out. Right. Um, I felt that I had the time. I, th- I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be really cool to, to just start something like that, you know, be a part of starting it. Um, so that's why I volunteered to be uh, one of the chairs. There's another gentleman, Frank Lake, that um, also said he wanted to be the chair. And we said, well, there's no reason we can't have two. Um, you know, two good people working on it would be would be better than one. So we voted for that and got together our board of directors and, and, and started with that. Uh, and then from there, you know, we were kind of we were set out with some goals. We had to have three events, three BHA events which, um, you know, kind of the, the easiest and most popular ones to do are the pint nights, like you talked about where we just, you know, everybody gets together, um, at, the uh, at some sort of brewery or bar and, and, um, you know, we have drinks together with a bunch of guys that like to hunt and fish and we talk about it and, and get new signups. We sell, sell some swag, um, and, uh, and raise some money and, and we've had three of those. We had one in Ankeny, we had one in Corville, the Iowa city area, uh, and then we had one up in sioux city so we've we've already accomplished those um then we also had to come up with three issues um that that we wanted to address as a chapter it, it, specifically in the state of iowa so we've come up with those um and then uh, and, and then we now have to write a letter of intent basically to the the national uh, board stating that you know we want to become an official chapter so that's that's kind of what we're working on right now to be hopefully accredited uh next month in December when they, the the national board of directors meet.
0: Okay, cool. So this letter uh basically is just here is you know, we we have this many people as members in Iowa. You know, we've completed all the tasks basically that you've asked us uh to to complete and here's here are the three issues that we that we want to accomplish or we want to focus on moving forward as, as a official chapter, right? Correct. Okay. All right. So let's walk through these, these three issues. But before we do, how did you guys, cause I, I didn't, I didn't make that meeting. Uh, I wasn't able to make that meeting. How did you guys determine what, three, How? or I'm sure everybody brought a whole bunch of ideas. So how did, what were all these ideas and how did you, I guess, boil it down to three main issues?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously a lot of people had different ideas. Um, I, I think the three issues that we ended up coming up with, you know, they kind of kept coming up. Um, we also, you know, like I said, there's there were several people on that phone call some of which you know said we don't have the time to be on the board directors some of them uh, you know i worked for for basically state game agencies said we can't be on your board um but you know they wanted to help out as well and that's that's one of the things that the iowa dnr uh some of the some of the guys that work for there and, and ladies that work for there have come to our pint nights and we've had a chance to talk to some of these people and, and they're very excited about us starting it. And they gave us a lot of these ideas as well. Hey, this is what we see as being the issues. Um, so, I mean, kind of combined, like you said, we had a bunch of ideas. These ideas kind of kept coming up, um, between our, you know, our board of directors, different members that we had talked to, and then also the DNR. So it kind of was a, a no brainer when it, when it came to these three, I thought,
0: okay. And what are those three?
1: Um, so the first one that we, we came up with was, um, funding the natural resources and outdoor recreation trust. Um, and, and a lot of that is, uh, probably going to be through what's called the I will coalition, the Iowa water and land legacy coalition. Okay. And basically what that trust is, is in 2010, Iowans, all Iowans voted on this, um, for a three eighths. Uh, of a cent sales tax that's going to go specifically to natural resources and outdoor recreation. Um, 63% of the people voted for it in 2010. However, it was never funded. Okay. So it's on the books that, Hey, we're supposed to have the sales tax, but they've never initiated the sales tax. Okay. Um, As you can imagine, that's a lot of money that would go, you know, directly towards natural resources and and outdoor recreation in Iowa um, that if that were to get funded, um, I mean, that would help hunters and anglers throughout the state, uh, plus a lot of other people. So
0: one second, I want to know, and I don't know if you've had conversations with, um, I guess, who whoever was in charge of that yet. You know, So the Iowans voted for this tax. They approved it through votes, but the tax was never implemented. Why was that?
1: Um, I mean, I'm sure it's politics, you know, um, even though people voted for it, you know, you start putting this tax in there. I think it was just a matter of people were afraid to do it (laughs) because you know, somebody'd be using it against them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't really answer that as far as why it never was funded. It just, it just hasn't been, um, you know, and you go, like I said, on that, um, the I will coalition and it's a, it's a group of a, of a lot of different groups, um, you know, major conservation groups, farm groups, um, just business groups. So there's so many people that seem to be behind it, but they just, for whatever reason, they just haven't, they haven't funded it. Right. So,
0: so when, when the uh, BHA now is getting involved, um, is that going to need to go to a vote again to re-implement it or because it's been, uh, a, voted in previously does it is it grandfathered in
1: yeah i mean it's not going to go to a vote i don't believe to the public it it shouldn't go to a vote to the public i mean at this point it's a matter of just uh state government voting voting it in to, to implement the sales tax yeah
0: so so how much money are we talking about if this sales tax goes through for for this organization or for this coalition
1: uh, yeah, I don't have an exact amount, but, I mean, so you're talking three-eighths of a cent sales tax on every dollar generated in the state of Iowa. So, I mean, you're talking millions and millions of dollars. Um, that's Again, that's going – and they have they have a, a percentage breakdown of, of how that money has to be spent, um, and, and a large portion of that is just strictly wetland and wildlife restoration and protection perfect like 20 20 i think 23% is the number just specifically geared towards that
0: that's pretty cool you know that yeah. there's something out there and it's just it's almost like a light switch it's just waiting to be turned on and yeah when you when you hear the word taxes i'm sure a lot of people get pissed off i don't take money out of my paycheck and all this stuff but it would probably for the average individual it it would barely be noticeable yeah no
1: you wouldn't you wouldn't even notice i mean i'm sure a lot of hunters at this point don't realize they're you know they're paying the pittman roberts act as well on all their their equipment um you don't notice it and and, i mean i yeah most people would be happy to pay that um for the benefit that they're gonna they're gonna get
0: absolutely absolutely and that's so that's cool uh and i just just imagine what uh, the state of Iowa will be able to do with those funds once that light switch does get turned on. That's uh, that's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's more above and beyond, um, you know, just specifically that, it, right. you know, you've got water quality issues, um, you know, lake restoration trails, Partnerships. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that people are going to benefit from. Uh, You know, not not just hunters, but but hunters and and anglers are definitely going to benefit from
0: it. Yeah, and backcountry hunters and anglers, you know, the name says it: hunters and anglers. However, for the organization as a whole, if you're not a hunter and you're not an angler, uh, you will still benefit from the work this organization does. If you're just an outdoor enthusiast, so. Uh, it's a win-win. Absolutely. It's a win-win. So, all right. So we kind of covered that first, uh, one. That's, that's a big one. What are the, what's the next one on the list of three?
1: Um, so, I mean, just, you know, thus you talked about earlier, we have less than 2% of Iowa is public land. Um, so just generally speaking, just not only protecting the public land that we have the little uh, bit of public land that we have, but also, you know, more public land, um, it's something that, you know, we probably have to look at down the future. You, you know, right now we're just starting out. We don't have a ton of money to, to throw around at some of these different projects. But, you know, certainly in the future, I think that's something we would want to push for um, is, you know, the, the DNR has stuff in place to uh, allow for cost-share land acquisitions uh, with different different organizations. Obviously, we'd love to be able to do that in the future. Um, in the meantime, I think, it's again, it's just about advocating for the public land that we have Um, you know, whether that's getting a group of guys to show up to some sort of public meeting where they're, they're going to have a a discussion about opening up public hunting to, to something else, um, or even, you know, shutting down hunting in some certain areas. Um, that's, that's one of the things that got brought up where when we have a, a, a meeting like that, there might be, you know, a bunch of anti hunters that show up to it, but no hunters. So you know, that, that's the kind of thing that we can, we can advocate for without having to, to do anything other than show up. Um, And that's, that's the one thing that I've already found with BHA is, you know, these guys are very, very passionate about it. If, you know, if I said, Hey, there's going to be a meeting at this town, uh, you know, at this time, I need as many guys as possible to show up and advocate for, for hunters. I know I could get, I could get guys there to show up uh, and do that. So,
0: that's awesome. So you mentioned, you said a term in there that I want to, I want to focus on a second. And that was something about something share land acquisition, cost share land acquisition. What is that specifically? So,
1: yeah, I mean, like I said, the DNR has a, a program in place um, as part of their, like their open spaces protection. Um, you, you know, the, the Iowa DNR has funds set aside to be able to acquire land for public use and um, but they also have a part of that can go towards um again these cost shares okay so maybe the DNR says they're going to they're going to pay so much money to acquire this land but they also need um money coming in from these outside organizations so um you know different different groups can put basically solicit them to let's put our money together. We're going to put so much money into this acquisition. DNR is going to put so much money into this acquisition. We buy this land, you know, it's, it's willing seller, willing buyer. Uh, we buy this land, we put it out for public use. The DNR is going to, um, manage that land then. Um, so again, that's, that's having people from outside of the DNR helping
0: to acquire this stuff. Awesome. It requires more more public land. Yeah, that's cool, and that's something that uh, you know you look out west and you have all these um, you know all these states. Let's say like Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado, Montana. All all these millions and millions of acres, and then you have Iowa, which uh, a majority a majority a majority of it is all private, and like I said, two percent public what kind of obstacles do you would you think we would run into uh, you know is this something like okay we have money now we need, need to go find land we need to buy or is this hey I talked to a guy he's willing to sell his property uh, for a fair market value just because he loves the outdoors and he wants to see his property turned into public hunting yeah
1: I, I mean I think that's your biggest issue with that is just finding those properties. Um, you know, I mean, we all know too that, that land and I was expensive. Um, it, it, so that's obviously a huge thing. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I mean, you're not going to be able to buy anything for a dollars $2,000 an acre um, around here. You're going to be spending a ton of money for that. Um, so finding the buyers uh, or, or find, sorry, finding the sellers, um, you know, finding that money um, and then putting it all together too. It's got to be, more than likely it's got to be a big enough chunk of land to make it to make it really worth it um right a, as well so right but it's, it's one of those things you just gotta i think you gotta do it a little bit at a time and just put it together i mean we're don't get me wrong we're never going to be able to have millions of acres in iowa that's right. public land it's just ne- it's never going to happen you just right. kind of got to do what we can so right
0: that's that's right. Absolutely. All right. So uh, try to get more public land and maintain the public land that we do have. What's the third one on this letter?
1: So the third one that we came up with is uh, is kind of commonly known as R3. Uh, and basically that stands for recruitment, retention, and reactivation of, of hunters and anglers. Um, I, I think we all know that there's there's far fewer people hunting and fishing today than there was in the past. Uh, and while... and you know, when you're out hunting on public land, it seems like it's a good thing, but, you know, it's a very small percentage of, of Iowans that hunt and fish. And, you know, you have to have that influence. You have to have people, you have to have money, um, to be able to influence that, to, to, to keep our public land. Um, you you know, if nobody's hunting and fishing out there, or just a a small portion of people are, it's going to be really hard for us to, to go to these meetings and say, no, we need to keep this land public and available for hunters, you know, when
0: nobody's using it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes sense. So how, how does this chapter plan on doing that? Has there been any talk about actually how to implement those three R's?
1: Um So, I mean, I think the, some of the different things you can do, uh, I mean, I came into hunting kind of on my own. I didn't grow up in a family that hunted, yeah. uh, I, I shouldn't say they didn't hunt. They didn't hunt very much. My dad would go out on a pheasant hunt every few years with my uncle. Um, and every once in a while I would go along. I just loved it. Um, and, and just eventually I kind of got into it on my own, but, uh, being in the business, I had kind of people that I could go to, but you know, if you, if you're just trying to get into it, it's, it's something pretty hard to, to get into by yourself. Right. There's a huge learning curve um so that's kind of the stuff that we've talked about is is maybe like you know holding classes on you know how to butcher deer or or you know maybe it's how to read uh read a uh you know public lands map or you know google maps to to figure out hunting spots um, just how to find different public hunting land um so so different things like that just different seminars maybe that we can do
0: um, to to hopefully get more people out there interested in it. Absolutely. So where does this, where does this start? Cause when, when I think of new hunters, I used to think kids, right? Yeah. And as I start getting into this uh, podcast more and start doing uh, more things in the quote unquote, in the industry, I'm finding that a lot of the people who are new to hunting are guys who run across, let's say, like the Joe Rogan podcast, and they see yep. some popular figure find hunting inter- interesting, they like it, and now they're like, you know what, I, I think I want to give it a try. So obviously there's two different groups of people. You have an adult and then you have kids. Um, is there is there a focus on on one that would maybe be easier or, or maybe a little bit more difficult, or is it kind of the same?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it's I think it's all part of the same thing, you know. I mean I, I think it's easy to tell hunters to get their kids into hunting. Um you know, like I said, that's kinda of always been the traditional way to do it. Um you know, why that hasn't necessarily stuck all the time, I don't know, but you know, I, I don't know many hunters that don't try and get their kids at least uh, you know, access to it. I guess whether or not they, they end up doing it later in life is, is up to them, but you know, most hunters I know are going to take their kids out hunting at some point. Um, but I still think you got to focus on that. You still, you got to get new people in it no matter any way you can, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think some of those, uh, as far as getting adults into it, you know, that's where your different seminars, I think are going to be more beneficial. Um, you know, again, you got the, the guy that hunts, he's not going to take his kid to one of those seminars. He's going to teach him himself. Right. Um, more than likely
0: so right absolutely absolutely so that kind of that kind of breaks down the three goals outside of that is there anything else that uh this chapter plans on doing in the next 12 months two years five years whatever uh in order to i guess just continue to grow as a chapter and spread awareness for the organization
1: well, yeah, I mean, those, obviously, those are three things that we want to focus on as as far as the benefit to to hunters and anglers in Iowa. But you know, also as a chapter, like I said, we want to get more people out there, and and it's a it's a bit of a social group too. Those pint nights uh, are awesome for that. Just like I said, getting a, a bunch of group of hunters and anglers together to to drink a beer and and get to know each other, and that's a big reason as well why I joined. Is I just wanted to meet new people um, that that like to do what I do, so. We'll definitely have more pint nights. Um, you know, right now we're trying to get that letter in, kind of get through this the end of this year. And then, you know, after the first of the year, we're, we're absolutely going to have more pint nights um, in, in different parts of the state. You know, I know for sure we'll probably have one over in the Quad Cities and, um, you know, probably up in the in the northeast part of the state. And, and, and just, just try and get around as much as we can uh, to the different parts of the state. Uh, we're going to have a booth set up at the Iowa Deer Classic, um doing a raffle there as well um just trying to get you know generate money generate interest letting people know we're out there um those are going to be the main the main things that we do um just also talk of, of possibly getting together a uh what we call a rendezvous um, they have one at uh for the national bha every year in a different different state we're just it's it's just kind of a big get together. Um, we're talking about maybe having one of those in Iowa next year as well. Or just over the summer, where we can we can all get together for a for a weekend um, camping, and I'm sure we'll find other events to kind
0: of have there. Cool, but uh, makes it just, just more of a social event than anything. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, that's a that's a big part of an organization is numbers, right? So the the more time you can get. At, I guess a group of people together, the more ideas, the more momentum that that creates, you know, for the overall goals, that's nothing but a good thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, like I said, with these few pint nights that we've had, it's, it's kind of surprising how many people we've had show up and it's, you know, it's just, Hey, this guy told me about it. Um, you know, what's it all about? Um, and you know, the more we can do that and just keep
0: it snowballing, that's, that's how you get these things started, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, kind of going back uh, to the very like the organization as a whole, um, if there's someone obviously not in Iowa listening to this and they want to find out more information about uh, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers, what should they do?
1: Um, so, yeah, if you're talking just like the National, um, the National has a great website, just backcountryhunters.org. Um, you can go on there, they talk about, you know, kind of their overall mission and their overall issues. Um, and I guess we haven't really talked about that on here, but that's the main things that they focus on as a national, um, organization is, is public lands, uh, you know, public land access and opportunity, and then just fair chase. Um, those are kind of their three main issues that you'll see on their website, but you can kind of go on there and learn more about that. Um. And if you specifically want to, to kind of follow us as an Iowa chapter, um, you know, we have a Facebook page set up. You can, you can just search under Iowa chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We have a Instagram page, uh, just BHA underscore IA. Uh, and, and we'll post any of our pint nights, any of our events that we're going to have on there. And, you know, we're, we've been kind of having, trying to have some discussions on there to get people engaged, um, with some just different questions that, that have come up, um, you know a while back we talked about land um public lands just asking people for hey where do you, do you know of any around the, the state so we kind of got that conversation started and did, did um, we
0: find any we we did find a
1: few not as many as i thought we might um but we definitely found some yeah it's 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 really interesting to to, to see that um and we asked we asked the DNR guys about it and they they basically said at this point now they will not acquire any land unless it's you know accessible, but um you know for whenever these parts were uh or these pieces of land were were purchased they're they're just not accessible in any way by the public um,
0: that's crazy that's crazy you think that's yeah. a, you, you would think that's a big western issue because i I know of one uh, particular piece up in northeast iowa that I, it's like, I think it's like 80 acres or maybe 90 acres that's uh completely surrounded by private ground so it's almost like that dude has an additional 90 acres he can do with it yeah. he, he can hunt by himself
1: yep yeah that's exactly what it is yeah that that's that's kind of how it came about um you know onyx um mapping did a whole thing out west where they talked about the millions of acres out west that are that are inaccessible and so you know, we kinda wanted to figure out how much of that was in Iowa and
0: it's it's like you said it's surprising there's any, but right. uh <laughs> but there is. There is. there is. Well, um, is there anything else that uh, we need to share um either about the Iowa chapter or the national chapter or the national organization?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. I just I just would encourage people to go kind of check it out. Um you know i think it's a so it's a great organization i think it's, it's something that any hunters and anglers can get behind whether you hunt on public land or not in iowa um which I, you know most people that i know that hunt they do at least a little bit um it, it's it's just a great organization for that 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 we can um you know keep what we have here in iowa uh, available to us and then too if you get guys that are um you know dream about going out west uh, you know obviously that's that's where this all started. with was out west because, like I said, they have way more public land than we have. It's, it's very important for them to um, to be advocates for it out there. So if you you know you got guys that that dream about that going out west, more than likely if you're going to go out west, you're going to be hunting on public land. Um, and it, it's uh, it's just it's a great, great conservation organization for for everybody. If if like I said, even if you're not a hunter, the stuff that they're doing, the stuff that we're going to do, is going to benefit benefit anybody that likes to see uh you know wild animals in wild places. So
0: absolutely. Well hey man I really appreciate you taking your time to hop on the podcast today and then talk with us about this.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on and uh and advocating for uh for Iowa BHA.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. For more information just go visit the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website. Uh, If you are in a state you don't know who to contact if you go visit their website um it will show you whether or not your state has a chapter and then who you need to contact so and then social media as well huge shout out to rick for coming on the podcast man really appreciate him taking time out of his day i know he's busy and i know he wanted to be in a tree but instead he uh stayed out and uh, did the podcast huge shout out to each and every one of you who has taken time out of your day to listen to these podcasts really appreciate that huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab Prime, Ripcord, Ozonix Hunter Safety Systems also, if you haven't yet you guys need to follow the Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram and Facebook there are days where I don't put the same thing on both social media uh, platforms so make sure that you're following me on both Uh, uh, instagram and facebook also go to itunes or wherever you download the podcast and leave a review not only for the nine finger chronicles but for all of the podcasts that are on the uh, on the sportsman's nation podcast network and other than that i think we're good to go there's still a lot of time in the rut so if you're struggling keep grinding Uh, and, and this is the time of year where anything can happen dude Big deer are on their feet right now. And if they're not with a doe, they're looking for a doe. So the more time you can spend in the timber, the better. So keep grinding. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for each and every one of you. Last but not least, our friends with Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.